0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church Podcast. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that we can come to this place. And we ask this morning, humbly as your people, that whether it's through the songs that we sing or the prayers that we pray, the scripture read, or the scripture proclaimed, that we would have a real encounter with you this morning. And through that encounter, that our lives would be transformed, that our hearts would be touched And that as we are sent from this place, we are prepared, uh, more prepared to be your people. Uh, This morning, as your word is proclaimed, Lord, I simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, So this morning, we are continuing a sermon series focused on the book of James. Uh, And what we have tried to do in this three-week series is is create a space between uh, where we started the year, uh, which was uh, trying to step back from the busyness that was in our lives, uh, trying to create space of Sabbath and of rest to encounter God, and and, and Lent, which is an intentional season in the life of the church, uh, where for 40 days we really will journey together as people disciplined uh, to uh, prepare ourselves for Easter. Uh, you know, Lent is a time of, of fasting, where we will s- set aside food or uh, or chocolate or uh, or Facebook or, or stuff, you know, those types of things. Uh, that may distract us from uh, the, the work of God and may lead us into new practices and new ways. But before we got there, we thought, thought it would be very valuable and very helpful uh, for us simply to spend some time in Scripture. Now, we always preach from Scripture, and that's not a new thing for us, whether it's uh, you know, in sermon series where we theme some, some ideas like we did in January and talk about busyness and Sabbath, and we find uh, places in Scripture that speak to that, or where we dive deep into a book. And so for this season, we just decided to do the latter and use James really as a lens uh, for, for us uh, to understand uh, ways by which we might engage God's word, hear God's word, listen to God's word, uh, and encounter it as a people trying to seek and be changed uh, by this living word of God. Uh, there are a lot of ways uh, to read scripture. Uh, some of them are historical. Uh, We might go back and look at Scripture from a historical lens and uh, understand what's going on in the time, uh, who wrote it, uh, what audience they're writing to, uh, what they meant for that audience. Uh, Sometimes scholars call this historical critical lens by which we read Scripture. Uh, We can read it uh, just contextually, trying to understand the entire context of that book and what that context means for us today. Uh, We can read it devotionally. And our hope in this season is really to focus mostly on that last piece that we would read uh, small chunks of scripture devotionally uh, that help invite us and, and encourage us in in our walks uh, as we try to follow follow Christ together. Uh, this weekend was a busy weekend for us, and these will connect in a minute. But uh, we had Shane Claiborne come. Uh, I don't. Some, several of men were here. I think we have a picture of the guys that were here, Mary Beth. Uh, we had about fifty or sixty guys gather in this space uh, to hear and encounter a, a guy named Shane Claiborne. Shane is a Uh, sort of in his own words, a new monastic. He he sees himself as as sort of a monk, but really in the urban context of Philadelphia. And he helps lead a group of people called The Simple Way. Uh, It's a group of folks who are trying to connect as Christ followers and live out uh, what it means to be Jesus followers in this very contemporary context. Uh, He's written a couple books, uh, several books, two that I want you to be aware of. Uh, One is called Irresistible Revolution. Uh, He wrote this in 2006. Uh, The Subtitles is called Living as an Ordinary Radical. And, and the way that Shane sees the, the walk, the life of Christ and what it means to follow Christ today is that we are called uh, to be radical. We're called to be countercultural. And so he wrote sort of what that looks like perhaps in our culture, in our context, in, in, our, in our generation. And so he writes to that. Uh, about six years later, 2012, he wrote another book that he's uh, well known for uh, called Red Letter Revolution. Uh, he wrote it with a guy named Tony Campolo, and what they did is they looked through Scripture, they looked at the Gospels, and they found all the times that Jesus spoke. Uh, many Bibles, many of your Bibles, those, those will be uh, red words, red letters. And he said, we just asked the question, you know, what if Jesus actually meant what he said? You know, what if the words that he said he actually meant to say? And if that's the case, then you know, what does that mean for our lives? And they wrote a book all about uh, how they understood Jesus' words and how they might apply uh, for our lives today. But he also said something this weekend that I thought really applied well to the book of James. Uh, He said this. He said, We are not called to make people believe a set of doctrines. We are instead called to invite people into a movement. We are not called to make people believe a set of doctrines. We are called to invite people uh, into a movement. And Shane talked about these two things. He said, When you look at Christianity, uh, often we look at it as either orthodoxy, uh, which means right uh, belief, right doctrine, right uh, teaching, or orthopraxy, which is right practice, right behavior, right ethic. And he says often what we do is, is we separate those two. And we either just want people to believe certain things, and as long as they believe certain things, we sort of check off the box because you know, now you believe in Jesus and so your salvation is secure and you sort of move on with your lives, or you should behave certain ways. And what Shane was saying is you can't separate those two things. You know, as God's people, we are called not just to believe certain things, but to live a certain way. And when we invite people into discipleship, when we invite people to follow Christ, it really is inviting them into an orthopraxy, a right practice, a right way of living, and a right way of being. Uh, one of the reasons I love uh, the book of James is that really is James's heart. You know, James is only five chapters. It's very short. Uh, but everything about it is just super practical it is very practical, very intentional. Uh, even the scripture verse that we've used uh, for the illustration in front of your bulletins is to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And James says we are to live God's word. We are to do the things that God calls us to do. And so uh, throughout this book, there is just practical advice after practical advice, wisdom and, and instruction and encouragement to simply invite God's people to live and behave certain ways. And so it really is just a great a practical book for us to, to continue this new year uh, new year together. Uh, before we jump in this morning, I want to share a couple things. One, uh, in your app this morning, if you have uh, the Apex UMC uh, Church app, uh, we've added the ability to take notes. And so there are a section under sermons. And so if you click on the sermons button and then click on you know Contemporary this week, Week 2, Contemporary for James, there's a place that says Sermon Notes. If you click there, it'll take you to a website. And if you want to take notes and follow along, uh, this morning, that will be there, and then you can just email the notes to yourself. They don't save in the app; you have to email them to you. So, if you've taken these brilliant notes, don't forget to hit send uh, at the bottom. But even in the notes, there's gonna be three questions we look at this morning, um, and these are the same questions we looked at last week. And these are questions that we are offering uh, as devotional tools for us as people who want to read scripture devotionally. And then, it's every time we read a passage, we would ask these three questions: you know, Where is God in this passage? Where do we see God? Where do we see the character of God? Where do we see uh, the nature of God in these words? Uh, Where are we in this passage? Where do we see ourselves? Uh, Where might I see my own behavior, my own posture, my own sort of person in in these words? And where do we go from here? What do we do with Scripture? And so as you're, again, in the app this morning, you can certainly, there's a space for each of these questions, and that's how we're going to walk through Scripture today. And so if you want to jot notes down that way, it's a great way to do it. Or if you just want to write down in the white space in your bulletin, uh, you can do it there uh, there as well. Uh, so if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to James uh, chapter 3. And before we get into James 3, verses 1 through 12, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning, there are some historical things that I think are probably helpful for us to know about the book of James uh, before we jump into it. Uh, one is, uh, who wrote it? Uh, James was written by James, but we don't know which James it was. Uh, there are three James uh, people named James in the New Testament, uh, one is uh, James, son of Zebedee. Uh, it's actually James and John who were brothers. Uh, they were apostles, and so they were one of Jesus' closest 12 disciples. Uh, James and John were uh, the two friends of Jesus that were sort of next in line right after Peter. Uh, Peter was Jesus' closest friend. James and John were right there after him. Uh, most scholars, uh, because of the timing of James's life and how he died, uh, don't believe that he wrote this book. Uh, but that's one of the guys we hear in the gospel. Uh, The second is a guy named James, son of Alphaeus. Now, we only hear that name four times in the Gospels, and we only hear it in the listing of the 12 apostles. And so you see, you know, this other James. So you have James, son of Zebedee, and then you have James, son of Alphaeus. Uh, Sometimes that James is known as James the Lesser, uh, or Little James, which part of me thinks, like, this guy was an apostle. Like, he was one of 12, Jesus' 12 closest friends, and the best nickname he can get is Little James. I mean, I just, I just feel bad for the guy. Uh, but most scholars actually believe that it was James, son of Alphaeus, or Little James, uh, who wrote this book. Uh, they look at the tradition about his life and the, and the way that he lived it beyond that. Uh, the third option is uh, James, brother of Jesus. And, and that's another name you see throughout the Gospels. Uh, James, brother of Jesus, the word brother in Greek actually just means close relative of. And so it very well could have been uh, his brother, uh, you know, brother by Mary and Joseph. It could have been a stepbrother. It could have been a cousin. Uh, but there is this person named James who was also very close to Jesus. Uh, but again, scholars really believe it is son of Alphaeus who wrote it. But in any case, it was someone who was very close to Jesus uh, who wrote this book. And so you hear echoes of Jesus' words throughout James. And so you hear these patterns and these these nuances and this call back to the Gospels every time you read this book. Uh, the second thing that's helpful to know is when it was written. Uh, most scholars believe it was written around 50 or 60 A.D., uh, and so it was about 30 years after Jesus had died. Uh, the people of uh, Jerusalem at the time were uh, facing a Roman occupation. Uh, 70 A.D. is when the temple in, Ro- in Jerusalem was destroyed, and so this is they're, they're preparing for and entering into a time where they're facing a lot of oppression, a lot of political turmoil, and they really are uh, trying to uh, figure out what it means to be Christ's followers when the Roman Empire is putting all this pressure on them. And so James is writing to people saying, This is what it means. This is what it looks like. And so that's really helpful for us as we jump in. <coughs> so again, I invite you to open with me to James chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Hear this word from the letter of James. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will, the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed. It has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father. And with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water? Can a spring, can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so the first question we ask uh, is, where is God in this passage? And so if you were at home reading this devotionally, you would sort of pa- I would pause here and often I'll have a journal sitting next to me that I can write or a notepad I can type in and just ask the question, where, where is God? Where do you see God? Where do you hear about the nature of God or who God is? And there's lots of places you might see God, but the one that stands out to me the the fastest, the quickest, uh, is actually in uh, verse 9, where James writes, it is with it, this is with the tongue, we bless the Lord and Father. One of the things that James claims right away is this identity of who God is. God is Lord. God is the one who is the Lord of our lives, is the ruler of our lives, the ruler of uh, who we are and, and how we operate. And so we submit to God as Lord. And Father, the identity of God known as Father is Abba. You know, Jesus says, Abba, Father, the one who is like Daddy to us, who loves us like a father. And so there's an identity piece right there in those two verses. And then it continues, And with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. And one of the things that James is reminding us is that we, as God's creation, as God's creatures, as, as human beings, were created first and foremost in the image or likeness of God. In Genesis 1, 27, It describes that. It says, God created humankind in his image or in his likeness. And it was in the likeness of God that he created them, male and female, uh, he created them. And we have to be reminded sometimes that we as God's created people, as humankind, are imprinted with the imago Dei, the image of God. This is true of our family members. It's true of our neighbors. It's true of our uh, coworkers. It's true of those we love. It's true of those we hate. That God's likeness is imprinted on each of us. that likeness is twisted, it's broken. Uh, Original sin turned us from God. We choose to turn away from God. But we were all still created uh, with this image of God imprinted on who who we are. So we learn something about God, the Lord and Father. We also learn something about our relationship to God as people who are uh, created in God's likeness. Uh, The second place uh, that I go is verse 11. And it says, "'As a spring pour forth from the same opening,' both fresh and brackish water. Now brackish water, if you don't know what brackish is, brackish is a mixture of uh, salt water and fresh water. Uh, and so it is, you know, neither, it's not fresh water, so you can't drink it, and it's not really salt water. It's so diluted that it can't actually be used for salt water. And so it's almost this, like this in-between. It's not helpful for anything. And so it says, you know, does does a spring pour forth in the same opening, both fresh and brackish, which is not possible. And can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. As I said earlier, a lot of James' writing sort of echoes the Gospels. In John chapter 15, uh, Jesus writes about what it means to be connected to a, to, a, to, a, to a vine, to a tree. And he says this. These are, again, those red letters, right? Jesus writes, or Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. And just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. For such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Jesus reminds us, just as James does, again, about our relationship to God. There is a source, there is a connection that we are able to make to God that that creates in us who we are. You know, in James, it talks about the tongue and how our tongue is a reflection of, of the source, of the thing that connects us to God. Uh, in this, it talks about the fruit in John's gospel, the fruit of Christ, that we connect to the vine, that we bear good fruit. And so it's in that connection that that shares what is possible uh, for us. And we'll come back to this in a little bit when we talk about what this means for us. But there there's several places right there uh, where we see God. The second question we ask is where do we see ourselves? And so once we sort of establish where God is in this passage, we then look for ourselves in this passage. I'm just going to read again uh, from James beginning chapter three, verse one. It says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I'm just gonna stop right there. As someone who uh, preaches and teaches and talks uh, for a living, um, James has a word for me right there in verse one. <laughs> said, Don't do it, <laughs> I think is actually what he's saying. Uh, because when you do it, you get you judged with greater strictness. You get criticized, You get you, people watch you, they watch what you do, they watch what your kids do, they, they watch what your family does, and they see you, we, we sort of describe it in preaching circles as a fishbowl. It's like you live in a fishbowl. Now, I will, I will give great thanks, in our church, uh, the parsonage doesn't happen to live like be right next door. Uh, it used to be, uh, right across the street, we now have church offices there, uh, but literally the pastor would live with a stone's throw of the church, and so you would come and you could watch them all day long, and if they didn't cut their lawn, you knew it, right? Uh, but, but we'd be judged and watched and we're in front of people all the time. And so because of that, we are criticized a certain way. And James like, just know that. Now, I don't think that only applies to me. I think it applies to any one of us who take a risk, who put ourselves in front of people. And whether we're coaches or whether we're teachers or whether we're simply trying to uh, live a life taking a risk for the gospel. When we put ourselves in front of people, uh, it is likely that we will be criticized. It is likely that we will be held to a different standard, to a different Account, and we just need to know that. And I don't think what James is saying is don't do it. He just says just be aware of that. Uh, Be aware of the the critical nature of people who sit on the sidelines and simply watch what you're doing and and offer critique rather than solution. I was sitting with a a friend of mine the other day. Uh, His son plays on my son's baseball team, and he had coached his son in baseball uh, since since his son was five years old. And so our kids are now ten. And he said for you know for four years, every season, fall and spring, you know I would coach. And it finally got to a place where, like, I just needed a, I needed a season off. You know, I had been coaching, I had been teaching, I had been helping prepare these kids, and his job had gotten busy, his family had gotten busy, and so he stopped for a season. He said, and he sat there and he watched this other guy who was coaching, another dad just like him, who was coaching his son in baseball, and he said, I found myself over and over again just criticizing everything he did. You know, I'd watch the way they'd run bases, and I'd like, no, they, they, he should teach them this way. Or I'd watch the way they'd feel the ball, and he'd be like, no, please make them go left, right. Like, I mean, do it this way, or throw, or swing. And he goes, and I was sitting there criticizing this, this, this dad. And my wife leaned over to me about halfway through the season and said, like, like you've got to stop. This says, I mean, you're criticizing a dad who's just like you, who's sacrificing his time and his energy and his, and his family sometimes and his work sometimes to come and invest in our kid. He says, quit criticizing, and if you really want to make a difference, go coach again, right? He's like, because that's really what you're you're doing. By stepping to the sideline, he said, what you've done is you've removed yourself from it, and you're just simply lobbing critique at this guy, rather than stepping alongside and helping. And I think sometimes for us, our invitation, our call, is to be a people who don't simply sit on the sidelines and critique, but find ways to step into the game and actually coach or lead or offer ourselves. It is so easy to be a people who critique. It is so easy to be cynical, to be on the outside, whether it's you know, through social media or whether it's through uh, just sitting on the sidelines and letting other people do it. But God's invitation, God's call is for us to step in and do something about it, recognizing that this will be true of us. That when you take a risk, people will judge you differently. But that is worth it for the sake of offering the love of Christ in this world, for offering the gospel, for offering service, for being a people who give ourselves for for others, I'm going to keep going through uh, through that piece. Um, jumping into verse eight and nine, again asking sort of where do we see ourselves in this? Um, verse nine says this: talk about again talking about the tongue. Uh, with the tongue we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made uh, in the likeness of God. Uh, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. Uh, this ought not to be so. Uh, in the South, uh, we call this kind of Christianity. Uh, Bless their heart, Christianity. (laughs) Oh, y'all know that one, right? Where we think that we can simply say with the same breath, with the same words, bless their heart, you know, they really should eat less cheeseburgers, right? (laughs) And we think whatever we say after bless their heart is just, it's just wiped clean. Like we can say whatever we want, but because we bless them first, it really is okay, right? I think what James is calling us is saying that's not really the way people of God are supposed to behave. When we use our tongue to bless God, to praise God, to, say, we, to profess orthodoxy or right belief, we also have to use our, 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 that same tongue, that same voice, to bless those who are made in likeness of God. And, and again, particularly in the South, this sometimes is hard. We have to train ourselves. We have to practice with ourselves. We have to be with people who, who live this way and practice this way that we use our words to offer life and encouragement and, and challenge. We don't use our words to tear down, uh, to set aside, uh, to gossip, uh, to break down those relationships. We use our, 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 our words, our tongues to offer love, to offer peace, to offer hope, uh, to offer reconciliation, to offer uh, different things to people. And, and that, that's the danger. And again, we can go back to that, to what it means for us, but I think that's another place that we often can see ourselves uh, as we read ourselves into this, this passage. Uh, which brings us to the last, passage, last, the last question. Uh, so what do we do next? So you've read through uh, you know, James 3, 1 through 12, and you've sort of seen God in this place, you've seen yourself in here, and then you ask yourself, you know, what do we do with that? You know, what, what in me might change uh, because of that? Because of reading God's scripture, because of being in God's word, because i offering myself uh, hum- humbly and with prayer uh, to God in this place. And again, for each of us, it is probably different. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance uh, to write down what, what you might be hearing God say to you this morning. Uh, but I want to come to a couple of verses, and, and the one that uh, probably stuck out, stuck out to me the most, and that is verse 11. And it is that, that, that verse about the spring pouring forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water, that a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, might yield olives or grapevine figs, uh, no more can salt water yield fresh. You know, one of the questions that I think comes up for me in this passage is, you know, what are those sources that are feeding my life, that are feeding my soul? You know, what are the things that are connecting me, that I'm listening to, I'm hearing, I'm watching, uh, that, are, that are filling up my heart, filling up my mind, my imagination, uh, so that I might and that, that reflect themselves in my behavior? Uh, when our kids were little, when they were three uh, and five, uh, they used to watch a show uh, called Caillou. Do you guys know Caillou? Who's actually watched, who's ever seen Caillou? Yeah? Um, so we have a rule in our house uh, that you're not allowed to watch Caillou, right? Um, it's a no Caillou rule. Uh, and the reason is, I mean, Caillou's based on a, a French uh, book. It's, uh, it's a French TV show, and they've translated into English. And um, Caillou just whines all the time. Like, Caillou's a preschooler, and if you watch him, like, he'll go to his grandma, and, like, he'll, he'll have lost something. Like, he'll lose a, a stuffed bear, and he'll be like, I just really want my bear. Where's my bear? And like, they can't find it anywhere. And, and he just whines and whines and whines some more. And ultimately, the grandma goes to the store and buys him a new bear. Or like they'll go a dinner table, and they'll fix something at dinner that Caillou doesn't like. And he'll just whine and whine. And, you know, and, and they'll just you know, make him something else. They'll make him a hot dog or grilled cheese or whatever. But the French, the French version, right? <laughs> and, and like we would watch this. And you know, we, of course, had a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And so they were in their like whining primes, right? And this is just where they are. And, I, and, we were, we were watch, and I'd watch, i am like, this is just not good. Like, it's not good for them to watch this show because they're just mimicking this preschooler, and they think if they whine, they're going to get whatever they want. And that's not how our household is going to work, right? Uh, and so we just cut it off. We just said, no more Caillou. And it was funny, my, my daughter would go, um, particularly my daughter, who is the, the one who always wants everything to be just right, and she would go to my, my uncle's house, to my brother-in-law's house, uh, her uncle Jesse, and they would watch Caillou occasionally. And she would come home, like, in tears and be like, Dad, I'm like, what's wrong? You know, what happened? She's like, we watched Caillou, you know, like, because she knew, like, you know. And, and the funny thing about Caillou is, like, I mean, there's no violence. There's no bad language. You know, there's none of these things that you normally would set aside for, for kids to not watch. But like, I just didn't want my kids to act like Caillou. And so I told him like, no, no more Caillou. And I think as adults, uh, sometimes we need to ask ourselves that same question. You know, what, what are our caillus? What are we filling our lives with? What are we watching on TV? What are we reading in, uh, online? What, what websites are we visiting? What books are we reading? What movies are we watching that become a source for us, that become reflected in the way we speak, in the way we behave, and the way we relate to others? Because whether it's caillou or something else, you know, we as a people are feeding ourselves with these things uh, that, that then come out, that, that, that are reflected in the way that we are. And I think one of the questions that we just have to ask is, is what are those things for us? And is it, is it simple enough to simply say, you know, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm just going to set it aside and not, not, not listen to that anymore, not watch that anymore, not read that anymore. Because when I do those things, it's not producing the, the result that I want. It's not producing the language that I want or the love that I want. Uh, but it's producing something else, something that looks like brackish, something that's worthless because neither salt water nor fresh water. It's this in between. And so that, that would be my challenge. One, one place that you could go, I think, is, as you read this passage, I think there's several others. Uh, so what I want to do this morning, and again, whether you're doing this in your app or whether you're, you're taking notes in your, on your bulletins, I just want to give you a couple minutes. Uh, just to, right where you are, just, just ask yourself that question. You know, what, where is God? Where is God in this place? Where, you know, where are we in this passage? And, and then ultimately this third one, uh, which is what, where do we go from here? What, is, what do we live? What does our lives look? How do they look differently because we've been in God's word this morning? And maybe write down a thing or two that, that, that stands out to you, that strikes you as we've, as we've been in Scripture this morning.